Hey, church family. So good to be with you again on this Sunday to worship together, to praise God together. I've let you know before that we are meeting in or outside here at the church building, not inside, but outside at the uh, at the church building. We've had a couple of weeks where it's been a little bit uh, crazy weather, so we haven't been able to meet just like last week. But uh, we hope that you will at some point join us for worship outside together and just being able to get together is, is a special thing for us as Christians. But I also understand that not everybody is quite comfortable with that yet. And so we're just glad that you have chosen to worship with us online. And so whether it's online or in person, uh, we're just glad to be able to worship together and, and so glad that you've joined us today. The story goes that a woman was at the airport waiting to board her flight and she had a little bit of time before her flight was scheduled to take off and so she decided that she would go to the you know one of the airport shops and and look for a couple things and so she ended up buying a book so she could read and a package of cookies and so she went back to her seat by her gate to wait for her flight to board and she started to read her book and she became engrossed in her book and, and as she was reading, she heard this rustling sound right next to her, and she looked over to see that the man that was sitting beside her was reaching into the bag and grabbing a cookie out of the bag of cookies, and he grabbed it and put it in his mouth and ate it. Well, not wanting to make a scene, she simply reached into the bag herself, grabbed a cookie out, and ate it, hoping that the man would get the message. Well, a few moments passed by, and she thought she'd been successful in conveying the message to this man, but then she heard more rustling, and she could not believe it. This man was reaching in to grab another cookie, which he did, and put it in his mouth and ate it. So she, in turn, reached in and grabbed a cookie herself and put it in her mouth and ate it. A few more minutes passed by. The man reached in, grabbed another cookie, and ate it. So she reached in and grabbed another cookie and ate it. Pretty soon there was only one cookie left in the bag. Quite infuriated at this point, the woman watched in disbelief as the man reached into the bag with only one cookie left, broke the remaining cookie in half, took one half and slid it across to the woman, put the other half in his mouth and ate it, and then got up and left. The woman was still furious sometime later when her flight was finally called and when she opened her purse to reach in and grab her ticket, to her shock and embarrassment, guess what she found in her purse? She found her unopened package of cookies. Sometimes a little conversation and explanation can go a long way in helping to see the reality of what's truly going on. And that's especially true when it comes to what we're talking about today. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know that we started a series and are in the midst of a series called Unashamed. And we're walking through, really, it comes out of the Apostle Paul's words in, or excuse me, in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where he says this. Here's what he says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is from, by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Over the last couple of weeks, we've really zeroed in in these last two weeks on 
on two words in particular. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about that word ashamed, and we talked about a couple of really foundational principles and understandings that you, you and I need to have when it comes to not being ashamed of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And then last week, we looked at that word gospel. And, and what exactly is the gospel? What does it mean when we talk about sharing the gospel with others? And so we really dove into what that word means and unpacked that word. Well, as for this week, as I said earlier, there's something to be said for a little conversation, uh, a few words being said, and some explanation to help shed some light on some things. And I know that, at least for some of us, we, we probably have some very natural questions when it comes to just the practical side of sharing the gospel with those around us. How, how, do, we, how do we have a conversation? How do we explain a little bit when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so today I just want to look at some practical ways that you and I can nurture those gospel-centered conversations with those around us. And to do that, I want to take you to a, a story in Scripture where I, I think we see this very thing happen. It's found in Luke chapter 24, and it can hopefully help us to connect some of the dots in our own lives as we think about sharing the gospel of Jesus with those around us. And this is a story that, of all things, has Jesus at the center of it, and he is the evangelist sharing the gospel about himself. And, and, and he's, the story begins with, with two men on their way out of Jerusalem. So Jesus is going to share the gospel with these two men. They're, they're on their way out of Jerusalem, on their way to a village called Emmaus, after a traumatic weekend in which Jesus has just been crucified. He's been killed and he's been put in the tomb. And these two men were on their way out of Jerusalem on Resurrection Sunday, on, on the Sunday that Jesus was raised from the dead. And they've already caught wind that, that there's information being that the swirling around that Jesus has been raised from the dead, but they don't quite believe it yet. They, they really are having a hard time wrapping their minds around it because it just doesn't make any sense to them. And so that's the setting in Luke chapter 24. And we'll start in verse 13. Luke writes, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. They asked, he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked them. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find the body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. 
He said to them, How foolish are you, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with, this, with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus act as, acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talk, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them and assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now there's obviously a lot that can be gleaned from this story, but today I just want to look want us to look at it simply from the perspective of, of having some gospel-centered conversations with those around us in our lives, because I think there's some helpful principles that come right out of this passage that you and I can learn. And the first one I would say is simply this. I think it's important for us to remember that words are necessary. I know that's, that's simple, but I think it's so important for us to remember that words are necessary. Some of you are probably familiar with the words of the old guy, uh, Francis of Assisi, who once said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. How many of you have heard that phrase? That's a very popular line that, that many of us as believers use to talk about the importance of letting our actions do the talking. And our actions are of utmost importance. Don't get me wrong at all, but, and, and this is no offense to Francis of Assisi, words are necessary for sharing the gospel. Our, our actions are so important. We can't have the, the, act, the words without the actions, but, but words are also necessary. They may be cheaper than actions, so to speak, but they're still necessary. These two men are on the road to Emmaus, and they, they are living, think about this, they are living in the same phase of history that you and I are living in. Jesus has lived, he's died, he's been raised from the dead. They are in the same phase of history that you and I are living in today. Everything that God needed to do for their salvation and as well, as our, for ours as well, had been done. Now, did they understand it? No. In fact, at this point, no one really got it. No one was saying, oh, now I get it. Now I understand. I, I get how much God loves me and that Jesus died for me, that he was raised from the dead, that he saved me from my sins. Now I understand it. No, no one was really making that connection yet. Even those who saw the empty tomb weren't quite making that connection. And, and so it's not just these guys on the road to Emmaus. I mean, do you, do you remember how many days Jesus spent before or after his resurrection before he ascended into heaven? Do you remember how many days he spent with his disciples? 40. 40 days he spent with his disciples. And, and, and those 40 days he spends teaching his disciples all about his life and his death and his resurrection and helping them to connect some dots in their lives for what it means 
for them going forward and what it means for their lives and how they are called to live. Even with his closest disciples, Jesus still has to talk with them and explain it to them. And so for these two men on the road to Emmaus, Jesus, he comes alongside them and he, and he begins to talk to them about these events and, and, and to help them understand what was going on. And, and I think verse 17 reveals just how much they had missed it. Listen to what Luke writes. He says, when Jesus came up and asked them, what are you discussing together as, they, as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. They stood still, their faces downcast downcast. Why? Because they thought that everything that had happened over those last few days was bad news. And it took Jesus coming alongside them to help them see the good news. And really, when you think about it, that's really at the heart of the gospel. Like we talked about last week, euangelion, the Greek word for, for gospel, literally means good news. Euangelion is also where we get the word for evangelism, which simply means to bring good news. And so if you're going to bring good news, then that means you've got to talk about it. You've got to share it. And so words are necessary to help people see the good news for their lives in light of what Jesus has done. And there are so many people in our lives and in our world on their own road to Emmaus. They know some of the story, but they're still downcast. And they need people to come alongside them and and give them a word about what Jesus has done and help them to connect the dots. And so words are necessary. They may be you know, cheaper than actions again, so to speak, but, but words are still necessary to share the gospel. Here's the second thing. We can take comfort in knowing that most of the time, we're not starting at ground zero. Most of the time, we're, we're probably entering into a conversation that's already going on. If we're, we're talking to somebody about Jesus, we're probably entering into a conversation that's already going on on some level with, with them and in their lives. A lot of times it's easy for us to, to kind of feel like we're starting from ground zero with somebody, but that's, that's rarely the case. Before Jesus ever started talking with these two men, they were already in a conversation with each other about the events that had happened over those last few days, over the weekend in Jerusalem. These two men already had a working knowledge of some things. In fact, there were some things that they got right about Jesus. They said he was a, a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And so when it comes to people in your relationships and in your sphere of influence, don't assume that you're always just starting from ground zero with them. You're probably entering in to a conversation that's already going on at some level. And the reason we can take heart in that, the reason we, reason we can be encouraged in that is because we don't know the seeds that have already been sown in their lives. We don't know the people that are praying for them. We don't know the people that God has already placed in their lives who are working in their lives. Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. In other words, we're not alone in this. You never know the stages that the people are at and the people that God has worked and put in their lives and the conversations that have already been going on before you ever get to that person. But thirdly, here's another thing we need to remember about the conversation. It's a dialogue, not a monologue. It's a dialogue, not a monologue. And I think in many ways, this is 
part of where we've gone wrong when it comes to evangelism, evangelism and sharing the gospel with others. You know, one of the excuses that, that we often give for not sharing our faith, for not sharing the gospel of, of Jesus with others is, well, you know, I don't have it all together. You know, I, I don't have everything framed out. I, I don't understand it all. And, and so I can't answer every single question that, that someone might ask. And I don't want to give a wrong answer. And so I, I'm just, I, I'm not going to give any answers because I don't have it all figured out. But the reality is you're not going to have all the answers. You're not going to have it all figured out, which is probably for the best anyway. That way we'll depend a little bit more on the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us and to work in their lives and through their lives and through the conversation that we have with them. Plus, maybe it'll help us to shut our mouths a little bit more and to open our ears so that they can say something. And so we can process what it is that they're saying and, and where they're at. It's a dialogue, not a monologue. Even Jesus had a dialogue. And if there was anybody who had the right to have a monologue, it was Jesus, but he didn't. And notice what he did do. He entered into the conversation with these two men with a question. He asked a question to get the conversation going. In fact, the very first two sentences out of his mouth are both questions. Not declarations, not points, not statements, but questions. That's why there's, there's something powerful that you can do that can't be done from my position right here. Because this is a monologue right now. What, what I'm doing right now is a monologue. And look, that can play a small part in, in, in someone's growth when you're trying to influence them for Jesus Christ. That, that can play a small part. And I do believe it plays a part. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. But it's a small part. And it's a monologue. And there are limitations to monologues. Monologues can't take you where dialogues can take you in the faith-sharing experience. And asking questions and listening and having a dialogue has everything to do with seeing where people are and meeting them where they are. And, and they don't, listen, they don't have to be deep theological questions. They don't have to have some, you know, such profound thought that's put into them. They can be questions. Let me just give you a few questions. You know, questions like, where do you turn when you're really struggling? Maybe someone's going through something or maybe they've just come out of something or maybe they're in a good spot. You can still ask this question. You know, where do you turn when you're really struggling? When you're going through tough times, where do you really turn? Or, you know, where, where do you, what do you think happens when we die? You know, you don't necessarily have to start with heaven or hell. Just start with, what do you think happens when we die? It's a good question to start from. Or, or, or another question, how do you process the things that we see going on in our world? You know, what do you think about those things? Where, where does that come from? Where, where does right and wrong come from? How, how do you feel like we get to right and wrong and, and where those ideas come from? Or could be even just something as simple and to the point as, what are your thoughts about Jesus? What do, you, what do you think about Jesus? What do you know about him? Just something to get the conversation heading in that direction and to help you evaluate where they are in their faith journey. Now, having said that, eventually the dialogue involves more than just asking questions and, and listening. That's why these next two principles are important. And so fourthly, our words ought to be filled with life and hope. Our words ought to be filled with life 
and hope. Go back to verse 18 of Luke chapter 24. This is just after Jesus asked the two men what they're, uh, what they're talking about. The two men in our story on the road to Emmaus, what they're talking about. Luke writes, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. And here's the part that always sticks out to me. Verse 21. But we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Just those four words. But we had hoped. Hoped. How many sentences uttered in disappointment and despair have begun with those words? But I had hoped. But I thought. For these two men, like many others in Jesus' day, they couldn't grasp the whole picture of what Jesus was all about. Redeeming Israel for them meant a physical redemption, to be freed from the, 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 the reign of the, of the Romans and the, the oppression that they were experiencing under the, the, the Roman Empire. But that wasn't the redemption that Jesus came to bring. And, and for so many people today, not only do they have a false hope about what Jesus is all about, but they just have, we, we'll include ourselves in this, we just have false hopes, period. You know, I, I had hoped that this would bring freedom into my life. I had hoped that this would bring purpose into my life. I had hoped that this would make me happy. I had hoped this or I had hoped that. And part of our purpose as receivers of life and hope is to share the true message of life and hope. But if we're going to speak that true message, then we've got to go to the source of that message, which is why fifth, our words must involve God's word. Because it's not my definition of life and hope. It's not yours. It's not the world's. It's God's. Look at what Luke says in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, I find it interesting. Luke says that uh, he tells us earlier in the story that, that they were kept from recognizing Jesus at this point. Now, later they recognize him when he breaks the bread to them, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But, but they were kept from recognizing him at this point. Why? I mean, you think about it. Jesus did so many miracles. He could have just done a miracle, right, and, and, and made it very apparent to them who he was and opened their eyes. I mean, there could have been a voice from heaven, like at Jesus' uh, baptism, you know, saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and they recognize him. They you could have just told them who he was, you know, just flat out said, this is who I am. But instead, Jesus uses scripture to explain the things about himself. Why? Because there's something powerful about them hearing the gospel through the word of God. They're kept from recognizing him, at least in part, so that he can explain the scriptures and everything concerning himself. Scripture exists to help you and me understand what, was God, what God was doing in those events of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and to help us live in light of those events. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says that these holy scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith 
in Christ Jesus. You know, we talk so much these days about our, our own testimony and about our own witness. And certainly that's, that's so powerful when we can share what God has done in our lives and what God is doing in our lives. When we share the difference in our own lives, <coughs> excuse me, that Jesus has made. You know, we look back at our past and we share our testimony of where we were and where God has brought us to. And I don't want in any way to take anything away from that. But something very powerful happens when the word is incorporated into our words about Jesus Christ. By the way, did, did you notice what the two men said after Jesus just kind of disappeared? Verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They had heartburn, the good kind of heartburn. Why? Because the word of God was being shared and imparted to them. Now, the truth is, if we're gonna be honest, a lot of people have been given the bad kind of heartburn when it comes to Christians sharing the gospel and sharing Jesus. But when scripture is brought into the picture, when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and conveying the message of what God has done and we do it out of love and grace and a, a true concern as we talked about last week or a couple of weeks ago that, that, we have, that they have more to gain than anything we have to lose. When we do that, that's the good kind of heartburn. That's the good kind of heartburn. And then lastly, here's the last thing I'll share. Us sharing the gospel and talking to others about Jesus is for one purpose so that they will invite Jesus in. That's the sole purpose of us sharing the, God, sharing the gospel, so that they will invite Jesus in. Did you notice what these two guys do once they get to Emmaus? Once they get to where they're going, they invited Jesus in. Now, at first, Jesus acts like he's gonna keep going a little bit further because you don't just invite yourself in, right? You know, that's, if you have any manners, you don't do that. But they plead for him to come in. And then check this out. Once they invited him in and they sat down for a meal, Jesus, the guest, becomes Jesus, the host. He's the one who winds up breaking the bread and giving it to them. And isn't that so true? That when we invite Jesus in, he winds up serving and blessing our lives so much more than we could ever serve or bless him. And when he breaks the bread and passes it to them, Luke says that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. By the way, we're not gonna get into this this morning, but there's something pretty cool about the imagery there that, that in the breaking of, of bread together, in the fellowship together, Jesus is revealed. It's, it's such an awesome picture to me that in sharing a meal together, which we're going to do a little bit in just a few moments, and sharing the Lord's Supper together, that Jesus is revealed. And then Luke, as he says, Jesus disappeared from their sight. And then listen again to what Luke says about what these two men do afterwards. Verses 33 and 34. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and said to them, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And so Jesus, having been revealed to them, now they couldn't wait to reveal it and to share it with others. So let me ask you, as we close our time today, is there a person in your life right now 
just a person that you can think of. It could be more than one person, but I just want you to think of one person, at least one person in your life right now, in your sphere of influence, who you hope one day will invite Jesus in. Who's that one person in your life who you hope one day will discover just how much Jesus desires to save and bless them? We all have at least one person. Hopefully there's more, but we each have one person and hopefully you have that one person in your mind. Now I want you to ask you another question. Are you gonna be the person to share it with them? Are you gonna be the one person to give them the invitation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because it's high time that we move from simply talking about the lost to talking to the lost. Because the reality is, Someone shared with me, someone talked with me when I was lost, and I'm pretty sure someone talked with you when you were lost. And as I've received, so I'm called to give.